Let us pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. O Lord, raise up, we pray, your power and come among us with great might. Relieve us from our temptations against your word, which is the only truth. That in fact, through our sins and wickedness, we are susceptible and hindered in running the race that is set before us. May your bountiful grace and mercy quickly help and deliver us through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Ghost, be honor and glory, world without him, and amen. You know, today, people of God, we live in a world where the miraculous is ridiculed. If an event occurs outside a reproducible environment, doubts are cast upon the event's truthfulness. We expect the unbelieving God-hater to doubt the miracles of the Bible. However, inside the church at large, there are those whom we see as modern-day Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection or the miraculous. Instead, both an ancient and modern followers of God the Father and Jesus believe that Christianity is simply some moralistic religious guidance provided for and directed by the elite. Today, it takes form of not believing that Jesus is the object of our worship, but rather that he is just a good man to be followed who started the religion of Christianity. Instead of the Bible being absolute truth, this type of religious person rejects what 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 16 tells us, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. They reject the word all or even what scripture is. Basically what I'm saying here is that they reject that the scripture is actually the word of God. They want to follow the man Jesus and his kind acts as they define what is kind and good through the lenses of their own experience. The idea of the miraculous virgin birth of the actual Son of God being born fully God and fully man for our salvation is absurd to them. People of God, we must reject any concept of Christianity that does not fully embrace Jesus as our only Savior and as the object of our worship. We cannot save ourselves from our sin or the attacks of the accuser Satan or from the fear that death brings when we are left to our own efforts. Let us once again hear our text from the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him, took her, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, when we hear this text, it's very helpful to remember that we have some parallel texts that assist us in understanding the greater message. So we can look in Luke chapter 1, and we can find where Mary first comes into contact with an angel, just as Joseph did. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 26, it says this. Now bear with me as I read this passage, but it's going to help us understand our text today. Now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. And this is really important. An angel shows up to Mary and comes in and says, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. And of course, like any of us, she had questions. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Again, people of God, sometimes we forget how the people in the New Testament had all of the Old Testament behind them, right? And most often, when did an angel show up? Was it a warm and fuzzy event? Or was it the prelude to God doing something in the world that was probably going to bring some duress? So you can only imagine Mary standing there that day when the angel appears, and even though the angel says positive things, she's troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this was. Verse 30 tells us, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have, been fa you have found favor with God. You know, God is very mindful of our frame. He remembers that we are just men and that we are weak. And so, as, as with every other person, when the angel of the Lord comes, they're afraid, and rightfully so. But God is gracious, and he remembers not just our frame, but the frame of Mary. Verse 31 goes on and says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now this is really important. From the very beginning, when the angel of the Lord brings the message that Jesus is coming into the world, he declares the kingship of Jesus. Jesus has always been destined to be king. We can see this in Psalm 2 just as one, in one place. Continue on in verse 33, and it says this, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. 
There is an eternal kingship to Jesus. He was predestined by God to be king over heaven and earth. He is king over heaven and earth, and he will always be king over heaven and earth. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And really, she wasn't questioning God as if saying, you can't do this. She was just practically asking, Lord, how how is this going to be? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. This is the miraculous intervention of the triune God to deliver us from our sin and for our reconciliation to God. That's what's going to happen here. The Spirit of God is going to move. And therefore also, it goes on and says, that the Holy One who is to be born to you will be called the Son of God. And to kind of add a little extra so you can confirm this and you can be certain, the angel says this, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and she is now in the sixth month for for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. He says, hey, you can go over here where an angel's already showed up on the scene and made a promise that Zachariah and Elizabeth are going to have a child, and you can go and verify that God is doing things. He is at work. And nothing, of course, is impossible for God. And then listen to Mary's response. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I can imagine as she said that, you can think about how ancient peoples had all kinds of mannerisms. Today we're all kind of stuffy and we don't want to move and express ourselves. Uh, Someone made a comment this week about one of my daughters having gestures just like me when they're talking about the Bible, okay? But, but I can imagine this, where she goes like this, kind of down and bending over and saying, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, being in a prostrate form, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What? response so we can think of this there let's come back to this so we have the angel of the lord appearing to mary and now we're going to jump back and look at our passage in matthew and see that again that the angel shows up to joseph and of course we've read this several times but we want to remember this he was a just man and he's contemplating she's pregnant what should i do and you can imagine, he, it, apparently he loved her, he was committed, and he did not want to put her to shame. Instead, he wants to act honorably. Not just for himself, because, you know, sometimes that, that's what we do. Something's going on, and we want to cover up somebody else's sin because it might reflect poorly on us. No, he was concerned for Mary's sake and didn't want her to be publicly exposed to judgment and shame. And verse 20 of Matthew 1 says, But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This name Jesus is merely the Greek rendering of Joshua, which actually means Yahweh is salvation. And of course, 
the angel says, for he will save his people from their sins. And it's very interesting. He comes in here and the angel then quotes the Old Testament. And it actually came from our uh, Old Testament reading today from Isaiah chapter 7. He only quotes a portion of it, but let's hear this. And it says, The angel said, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken of the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with a child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. Now all this is going on, and this angel shows up, and what is Joseph's response? He says this, well, he does this. It says that Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, can you, you can only imagine when an angel of the Lord shows up, how it's terrifying, it wears you out, it makes you tired. When all this happens, he then, when the angel goes, he's aroused from his sleep, and he simply did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife. And when she brought forth the firstborn son, he called his name Jesus. Joseph responded to the angel's message from God with the understanding that to take Mary as his wife was his assigned station before God. Sometimes when God speaks to us through his word, through the preaching of his word, or you're reading it, or from a, a brother or sister, we're not very content with what we're hearing. We're saying, this isn't the place I want to be. This isn't, I, I want that over there. I, we, we don't like to be content in the station or the place that God has put us. But Joseph doesn't respond that way. Instead, he walks in obedience to God and takes his assigned station and place before God. Now, we think about this being from Isaiah chapter 7 and the whole thing about Emmanuel being God with us, there's a lot going on in that passage. I, I speak to you often and I say, you know, when Jesus quotes the Old Testament or the apostles quote the Old Testament, they don't want you to take just that one little verse. They want you to think about the context of what's going on. So let's look at, at uh, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 7 where he comes in and it says this beginning in verse 10. Let's consider this. Moreover, Yahweh spoke again to Ahaz. Now, he's the king of Judah at this time, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from Yahweh your God. Ask either in depth or in height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test Yahweh. Man, that sounds pretty good. I'm not going to test God. Then he, that's the prophet Isaiah, said, Hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know, know to refuse evil and choose the good. Now I bring up this a little more of this passage, and I say, what's going on here? You know, again, we took the Christmas card and his name shall be, you know, the virgin will be bearing a child, and his name will be Emmanuel, which is God with us, and that's a Christmas card cut out. But there's something else going on here that's really pertinent about testing God. You know, Ahaz refuses to put the Lord to test. 
In doing so, Ahaz attempts to cover his unwillingness to face the spiritual realities of the situation that he's in. And he covers it all with a veil of self-righteous piety. When God says, test me, he is speaking words of assurance to his people, reminding them of what he has already done. And if you were in Sunday school this morning, you would have heard of a lot of the same similar things out of our passage from Psalm 63. God, when he speaks to us and says, test me, he is trying to assure us, or he is assuring us, by reminding us of what he's already done. Ahaz would have been able to remember the prophet Isaiah's interaction with his grandfather, Hezekiah, where he was seeking a sign, where that is, Hezekiah was seeking a sign as to the proof of God's word to him concerning being healed of a sickness that he had. Hezekiah doesn't think the proof test is hard enough for God. So, you know, Isaiah comes and says, the Lord will move the shadow forward uh, so many degrees, 10 degrees. And Hezekiah says, oh, no, that's easy because, you know, the sun moves and so it's going to go that way anyway. All right. And so in a judgment, Isaiah says, okay. And he responds in this, in this way, and he makes the shadow go back 10 degrees, which is the harder, more miraculous thing. And Ahaz was fully aware. He's not disconnected from what happened between the prophet and his grandfather. But Ahaz acts as if he is above testing God. But is he? Is he testing God? Second Kings chapter 16 tells us when he becomes king... It says this, Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of Yahweh his God as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his sons pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on high places, on hills, and under every green tree. We see that Ahaz sacrificed his son to a false god in the fire. He did not worship God at the prescribed place, the temple, but rather in the high places. And you see this frequently throughout the the history of Israel, where even where a, a good king comes along and he restores worship rightly at the temple, oftentimes you'll see a line that says, but he didn't remove the high places. What are the high places? The high places are the places where, okay, I'm gonna, I say I'm going to worship Yahweh. I say I'm going to follow God. But instead of worshiping the way God prescribes, where God prescribes, they go up to their own places and worship God in their own manner. And here, it wasn't just the high places, but he was more sloppy than that. He goes to the hills, so that's kind of a halfway high place. And then under every green tree... Can you imagine that? How many green trees do you think there were in Judah at the time? I can just worship God anywhere I want, anytime I want. I don't have to do anything in relationship to what God says. You see, Ahaz desired to give the impression that he worshipped Yahweh, but he went to great lengths to worship anywhere but where God said to worship. Is this type of self-designed worship testing God? 
when God sent other nations to chastise Ahaz in an effort to bring repentance, the people of Judah and Ahaz, they don't repent. And specifically, Ahaz doesn't repent and turn to Yahweh for deliverance, but instead he turns to the king of Assyria. 2 Kings 16, verse 7 says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. And Ahaz, look at what he does. It says, And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of Yahweh and in the treasury of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So not only does he not repent, but he stole from God's house to fund the deliverance by his new Lord, the king of Assyria. Is this testing Yahweh? We find later that King Ahaz goes to Damascus to meet up with the king of Assyria. (coughs) And while he's there, he sees the Assyrian altar to the Assyrian god. And he saw it, he looked at it, and he sent plans to the high priest in Jerusalem and said, I need you to build this. And when Ahaz returned to Israel, to Judah, he worshipped the Assyrian god Asher. Asher is the national god of Assyria. He's worshipping the god of war. And this is very interesting. Asher is symbolized by a dragon and a winged disc. Is this testing God? Worshipping the dragon? The great serpent? It also says in 2 Kings 16 and verse 14 that he also brought the bronze altar that was before Yahweh from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of Yahweh. He took, he took the old uh, altar that he had replaced, and he brought it to his house to use it as a tool of inquiry. Like he was just going to cast lots in front of it, use it for divination. So then he, he, he's just going down this terrible path. You can see this, right? And then he changed the prescribed worship. And thus, Urijah the priest did according to all that King Ahaz commanded. Ahaz went so far to disobey to disassemble God's visual reminder that God's people were the priests of the nations, bringing the good news of the river of life that flows from God's throne. We can see, if you continue to read this passage, that Ahaz took down the bronze sea. Remember in the temple, when when, uh, Solomon built the temple, there was this giant basin of water, huge. They they estimate something like 10,000 gallons of water in it. And out in front of it were all these smaller bowls full of water. And this, this signified the waters of, of life flowing from the throne of, of God from the sea to the smaller ones and then flowing out the doorway of the temple. And he takes this down. And he takes the small bowls away. And he takes the stand of the bronze sea and he takes it away and he just drops the bronze sea itself down onto the ground and utter disregard. 
Ahaz continued to remove all the signs of his submission before God by removing the rest he was provided for. We see that he also removed the Sabbath pavilion, the place that was built next to the temple to provide rest for those coming to worship on the Sabbath. He even did this. There used to be a pathway, a covered portico that ran from the king's palace to the temple. And he took that down. He removed all semblance of submission to God and therefore broke off the government from worship. Are these high priests and King Ahaz testing God by their idolatry? This sign that comes to Ahaz and Isaiah comes as an invitation from Yahweh. But because of his rejection, it's no longer an invitation. It's no longer persuading faith in Yahweh as the providing father, but rather it's confirming divine displeasure and the coming judgment. The parallel passage in 2 Chronicles 28 tells us this, beginning in verse 22. Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to Yahweh. That is that King Ahaz sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because of the kings of Syria, um, because of the kings of Syria's help, I will sacrifice to them and they may help me. But the scriptures say this, but they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God and cut them into pieces, the articles of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of Yahweh and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger Yahweh God of his fathers. People of God, when we turn to our own experiences, desires, and efforts for deliverance from our problems and stresses, we test God. When we don't believe and live according to God's word, we test God. We need to stop acting like we are righteous and pious in our outward theology. Instead, we need to be like Mary and Joseph. Again, what, what happened? What was Mary's response in Luke 1.38? Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. Mary responds to the message from God by declaring herself a servant in full submission to God's word. She even declares, let it be to me according to your word. Whatever God declares, let it be to me. We also see that Joseph demonstrates his faith by obedience to the word sent to him by God. Again, Matthew 1.24, Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. The folly of every age is to think that human beings are basically good and capable by our own efforts to save ourselves. We construct our own high places, places of idolatry. We become like King Ahaz and go to great lengths. For what? 
just like it says in 2 Timothy 3, we go to great lengths, having a form of godliness but denying its power. When we deny the miraculous of the incarnation, we, like Ahaz, begin to strip the temple of its value and the very form that reminds us of our complete dependence on God for the forgiveness of our sins and His purpose for us to be the priests of the nations. Let us hear the admonition of the Lord from James chapter 1, beginning of verse 16. Are you listening? Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God himself brings the only good and perfect gifts. The greatest gift that God has bestowed upon us was the incarnation of his beloved Son. There is no variation or any other light unto salvation. God of his own will chose us that we are to be the fruit which bears fruit in others to their salvation in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. O Lord our God, how great you are, how perfect is your word. Give us grace to hear, understand, live, and declare that we are your servants. Strengthen us that we may humbly submit by living according to your holy word. We ask this by our Lord Jesus. May all of the earth know that you alone reign with the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen.